Okay. Hello, John. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Chelio. Hello. Good morning. Yes. Thank you guys for joining today. Um, so we are recording this episode for the YouTube channel, which is also humanizing the icon. Um, we are live on Facebook. We are sometimes live on Instagram, but not today. But we are very interdimensional in this show. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much, John, for being here. Um, first, I'll introduce Chelio so he can get his drawing started. Um, but Chelio Bordin is a perception artist from Italy who uh, was part of the Humanizing the Icon exhibition uh, during the Venice Biennale. And that's where this show was actually birthed as we were exploring um, the deconstruction of persona, identity, the masks we all wear, mythology all the way to pop culture. Uh, what is to humanize? What is the icon? And uh, we were exploring that through art. And Mary Pickford, uh, who's the subject of my film that's coming out, um, was, was the kind of portal into that exhibit. And now we're here with this show and all through the pandemic, we've been talking to amazing um, visionaries and artists and authors, scientists, uh, very prolific thinkers and doers in the world. And Chelio uh, transforms our energy into a work of art while we are chatting. And um, he will share the message that he gets afterwards um, or right at the end of the show, but. Nice. Okay. Thank you, okay. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank, Thank you. you, followers. And uh, are, are, are you welcome, everybody? And then uh, we saw what's up. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Chelio. <laughs> um, okay. So, John Rates, I'm excited to talk to you. We're reconnecting after a couple of years, um, yes. rediscovering that we're both from. Michigan. And yes. uh, why don't we just start with that, um, your journey from Michigan to where you are now. <laughs> and uh, our, our jumping off point a couple years ago was definitely transformational storytelling. Um, I had reached out to you about my film, which we're finishing now. Yes. Why not choose love? A Mary Pickford manifesto. And Pickford who's the mother of Hollywood, was very much a pioneer, actually, of transformational storytelling. Um, and the founder of United Artists, and in her heart, that was all about artists uniting. So there's a lot of synergy with my journey and your journey. Um, and the Gate Foundation is something um, I'm very passionate about in terms of the mission. And so, yeah, fill us in. Give us some highlights. Yes. So um, anything in particular you'd like to discuss around this or? Yeah, so how did, you, how did you get from Flint, Michigan into <laughs> transformational storytelling? What is transformational storytelling and what is the Gate Foundation? So we'll start there. So um, I guess we could say intuition brought me from Flint to Los Angeles. Um, Around uh, the 70, maybe 76, 77, um, I'm dating myself, but you mm -hmm. can tell. <laughs> um, I 
I was teaching transcendental meditation in Flint, Michigan. And uh, I had been previously in the entertainment business. I was, I was a guitarist in a rock band that was pretty famous in that area mm-hmm. in the Midwest. Um, but when I started meditating, life changed rather radically. And in doing so, uh, not long after I you know, started teaching TM, uh, the entertainment bug bit me again. And along with that came this intuition, this prompting that I should move from Flint to Los Angeles. And I only knew at that time one person in Los Angeles. Um, she was a cook for Doug Henning, who was a famous magician around that time. And I called her and I said, Denise, I, I think I'm going to move to Los Angeles. And she invited me to spend you know, some time at her place, which I did. And I came to Los Angeles not really knowing anybody, nor really having uh, a complete understanding of what I would do when I arrived. Um, it was very intuitive, and I knew I needed to do something in the entertainment world, but I, I just didn't know exactly what. But as fate um, or karma, whatever the case might be, uh, would have it, uh, very quickly, uh, Doug Henning, the, this magician, gave me a job. Um, he used to do a lot of shows at the Hilton in Las Vegas, and I would drive his car back and forth. Uh, and I did some other work for his production company. Um, but then I started learning a little bit more about, you know, the entertainment business, film business, management, agenting. And um, I happened to meet Ned Beatty, who's a pretty famous actor. He was in Superman and Deliverance and Network and so many other films. And he and I hit it off and he offered me a job. And so I accepted that job and worked with him. And in the course of doing that work uh, for my birthday in, in that particular year, he gave me a, uh, a book about public relations. And he said, you would be really good doing PR. And, and I said, oh, what's birthday? that? I have to ask. When's, huh? your, when's your birthday? It was uh, January 28th. Uh, oh, that's my yeah. uncle's birthday. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. So I read the book and I thought, well, this is interesting. And when my job with Ned was completed, he asked me, what do you want to do now? And I said, I want to be a manager. I want to be a personal manager. So he picked up the phone and he called this manager out in Malibu. Her name uh, is Dolores Robinson. And Dolores was a very prominent manager, uh, still is. She's not a manager, but she's still prominent. Um, And uh, I got on my little Honda Passport scooter and I (laughs) drove from from Hollywood, you know, where Ned lived uh, to to Malibu and and met Dolores and she gave me a job on the spot. And I I became kind of a I was her assistant. I became sort of a a, a mini manager. Um, And we had you know, we managed Martin Sheen and LeVar Burton and, and Emilio Estevez and a host of others. But then I got, you know, I got to feeling I really want to do my own thing. So I left and I started my own company and I went back, I went into music management. So I managed like Billy Preston, the fifth Beatle and uh, Al Stewart, you know, his, his, his big hit was Year of the Cat and this band called Taste of Honey, who won a Grammy for Boogie Oogie Oogie. And I started kind of specializing more in R&B acts. Um, But then from there, everything kind of, you know, mushroomed and blossomed. But the thing that's really important, you know, that's all history and bio and all of that. 
But you know, it was in 1976, and I was in Avoriaz, France, in the French Alps, and I was listening to a lecture by Maharishi Maheshogi, the founder of Transcendental Meditation, and he was talking about the role of the artist in transforming the world. And I didn't know it at the time, but that lecture that he gave that evening was actually the inspiration for Gate. And I, 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 after the lecture was over, I asked somebody on the video crew if I could watch a playback of the lecture and I took copious notes. But it was only years later that I discovered that it was that lecture that really inspired me, that planted the seeds of Gate. And that was again, 76. And then when I moved to California in 79, uh, I, I suggested to Ned that we start an organization. And we, we got several people together, Merv Griffin and Mike Love from the Beach Boys and Clint Eastwood and uh, several other uh, people who were practicing meditation. And I said, let's start this organization called the Council for the Enlightenment of the Entertainment Industry. Mm. And the purpose of it, it was pretentious, but innocent and sincere. <laughs> and we started teaching meditation to people in the business. Um, and that's kind of, that was sort of the beginning of GATE if you will. And can you tell everyone what GATE stands for? Yes, uh, GATE is an acronym. It stands for Global Alliance for Transformational Entertainment. And it was in 1990. <laughs> I, I'll throw out a whole bunch of dates in that the course of our real. conversation. Um, in 1990, I was promoting a movie uh, for Triton Pictures called Mindwalk. And Mindwalk was based on books by Fritjof Capra, the physicist, uh, the Tao of Physics and the Turning Point. And the film starred Liv Ullman, Sam Waterston, and John Hurd. And it was shot on location at Mont Saint-Michel in France. And so one evening I was in San Francisco doing an advanced screening of the movie. And we did it at Dolby Sound Labs. And I was, you know, my, my usual practice was once we start the movie, I'll sit in the back of the theater for a few minutes just to make sure the sound level is good and people are comfortable and so forth. And this time I said, I'm gonna stay for the whole movie. And um, during the course of watching this movie with the audience, I noticed something. I noticed that the audience was forming a relationship with the movie, with the content of the film. And the way I noticed that is that people were like elbowing their neighbor and saying, that's what I told you about. That's what I was trying to explain to you the other day. Or there would be audible sounds like gasps and of a positive nature and people saying yes, you know, and throwing their fist in the air and so forth. And I noticed, wow, this is a little bit unusual for, for this type of a movie. Um, and uh, I, I started, you know, as I was sitting there, I was thinking that these people are having a kind of transformational experience. And then when I got up to lead the Q&A after the movie, I said, you know, I, I think I began it by saying something like, so it seems like you guys had a transformative experience during this movie and everybody clapped. Mm -hmm. And I noted that. And then I thought, okay, there's, there's a new genre of film being born this evening. And it's probably akin in some ways to the Christian faith-based entertainment or faith-based movie industry. But this one is very inclusive. And it's really about holistic, humanistic, uh, universal values. In other words, the story that is being told 
uh, incorporates a lot of values and ideas that really are about, um, that are evolutionary and are about our evolution as a species. Mm -hmm. And then when I left, I said, from now on, I'm going to refer to Mindwalk as a transformational film, part of transformational entertainment. And that those terms were born that evening. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, oftentimes I love, you know, going into the rabbit hole of how we are all artists, you know, that yes. in, in perception and experience and our projections of our experience, um, we're really designing, you know, our reality. Um, and people often don't feel like they can identify as an artist unless they're creating a work right. of art, so to speak. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that in terms of yes. the human as the artist and the work of art? Do you explore yes. that? Totally. And, and as a matter of fact, we have a little motto in Gate. Um, I refer to it as the Gate Sutra. And the Gate Sutra is no light, no art, no art, no life. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that, you know, of consciousness as light. And without consciousness, without light, there can be no art. And as far as I'm concerned, and I believe many other people, without art in its various forms and guises, there can't be life. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, I think I shared with you, uh, Jennifer, in, in, a, in a conversation not long ago, um, one day I was walking down the street and I, I, I went past a home and I could see into the living room and there was a gorgeous painting hanging on the wall. And I stopped for a moment to admire it and to think about it. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I continued walking and someone rode, rode by me on their bicycle and they have music playing. And I happened to love that song, that artist. And I was thinking about the artist and, and music in general. And then I walked a little bit further, came to Abbott Kinney Boulevard, very artsy street. And uh, in a storefront, there was a television monitor and it was playing the trailer for one of my all-time favorite films, Being There, with starring Peter Sellers. And I stopped and I looked at I watched it and I was, I again, continued my thought process about movies and music and art. And then it hit me. There isn't anything that isn't art. Right. It's all art. Every whether it is, whether it's the pavement or a car or a fine work of art or a film or a singer songwriter, or the sky or trees, everything is art, whether it's creator made, howsoever you define she or he, or if it's, if it's person made, whether it's person made or made by the creator, I should say. And uh, that you know, caused me to stop for a moment. And then as I continued walking, I had one of those experiences. Uh, some people would refer to it as an out of body experience, but it wasn't that. But it's one of those experiences where you, your, your waking consciousness fades to the background and something more pervasive, uh, more universal, more eternal, if you will, moves to the foreground. And whatever that was, howsoever we define it, the idea came, the idea arose. What if the creative artist disappeared? What if there was no music? no fine art, no dance, no poetry, no film, all the arts disappeared. Mm -hmm. What would life be like? Mm -hmm. And these words, these words came to me, unimaginable, unthinkable, unbearable. Mm -hmm. 
And so I realized in that moment, the centrality of the creative artist, the central role of the creative artist in facilitating transformation, in facilitating personal, social, and global transformation. Mm -hmm. And so that gave rise to a new mission, or rather a new vision of GATE, uh, which is the one we've adopted now. And um, it became kind of the central organizing principle of the new GATE. So you talked about human created or creator created, however one yeah. believes that. Yeah. Now, how do you yeah. personally differentiate between creator and human? Well, ultimately, in my opinion, this is all my opinion, yeah. uh, there is no distinction between the two. They, they are one and the same. I'm of the school of thought that everything is consciousness, whether it's a human being or a table, that there isn't anything that isn't consciousness. It's all consciousness at the most fundamental, most essential level interacting with itself. Beyond the world of particles and bosons and fermions and quantum physics and all of that lies this field of infinite creativity that is eternal, unbounded. And some people call it God. Some people call it being. Some people call it presence. It goes by many different names according to whatever tradition you belong to or whatever, you know, whatever spiritual tradition or religion you belong to. But to me, it's just that oneness of life where we are all infinitely correlated with everyone else. Yes. And so when they say, you know, we are one, you know, there, there actually is some, some physical truth. And in reality, I believe that to be the case. I definitely do as well. I definitely do. I, I love uh, looking into the law of one and the unified mm -hmm. field in terms of kind of, yeah, what seems to lie sort of, I don't know if you think of it like encapsulating all that is or kind of behind everything, but it seems to precede like the first distortion of sort of self-reflection or ideas, yeah. you know? Well said, well said. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's both. You know, I think that there is this field uh, that is beyond uh, certainly the experience of our senses. Um, mm -hmm. But I think at the same time, it permeates our senses, our minds, our bodies, and yeah. all of physical creation. But I, but I do believe it to be uh, the source of creativity. And that when an artist, when a maker is creating, they're yeah. actually in some fashion accessing that field. And I think the greatest art the art that withstands the tests of time and that endures, uh, you know, is because it embodies more of that essential element uh, than certain other works of art that may have been created, you know, by an artist who may not be hooked up in quite the same way. Yes. So. Do you ever find it, I don't know, I don't know, sad or even disappointing in moments, um, speaking specifically of film, because you're experienced in film and I'm experienced in film, that the way the industry's gone, um, people, artists tend to, I don't know, dumb down or kind of dull their connection to that source in a way. I don't, I don't know how to say it, you know? Um, yes. Precisely. Yes. I feel like Pickford and I have this in common. It's just like, as we're evolving and as we're 
touching source. It's mm -hmm. like, we don't, we really shouldn't be dumbing things down. We want to keep expanding yeah. and, and elevating. That's how I see it, you know? Yeah. Well, this is a very, very big consideration that you've raised. There are many parts to it. And I, I think we could probably spend two or three hours easily just going into this. But what, what I'll say about it in brief is, you know, when I, when I was a manager and, I, you know, we worked primarily with actors and actresses and, and musicians, and, you know, somebody would come into our office looking for representation and they would sit down, you know, in front of me. And I, I began over time, I began to see that, you know, there are, we'll just keep it simple. There are two types of artists. There are those artists who it is simply their life and they live life as an artist and as an artist they live life yeah and then there are those people who started talking about fame and money and various other things and i i never took them quite as seriously mm -hmm. um, i was much more attracted and felt more comfortable with what i might for lack of a better phrase call a true artist and they were going to do their work in the world as an artist no matter what yeah. whether they made money or didn't make money whether they had the name and fame or not they were going to do their work and they wanted to do it from i believe an altruistic place where they really truly wanted to help people in the world yeah. whereas some of the other artists they they were in a different space they they wanted fame they wanted money uh they wanted various other trappings of power and such and, uh, you know, they were, everything was conditional and transactional with them. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I just didn't feel quite comfortable, you know, with, with that sort of artist. Um, so I believe there is a distinction and I think there are gradations. And, you know, there's another element here too, um, because of the way the business was set up and, and continues to be set up, though I think things are changing and I believe they absolutely will change for the better for the artist. Um, the way things are set up, uh, you know, artists are more or less subliminally or even overtly encouraged to pursue the economic imperative, you know, and so in order to do that, you have to chase the market. So if this, if this is a hit song, then write something like that. If this is a hit movie, tell a story like that. If this painting is famous, then write paint like that and so on and so on. And I have never uh, appreciated that. I've never agreed with it. Um, I would encourage artists to simply be who they are and express that uniqueness, as unique as their fingerprint, in their creative work. And some people, you know, maybe, you know, they might have a huge audience or they might have a very small audience, but there will be a certain element of integrity and personal fulfillment and satisfaction uh, having lived a life well. Uh, and, and in accordance with their, their desires and their vision uh, that I don't think other, other artists will have who perhaps didn't feel that way or follow that. Definitely, yeah. I mean, everyone's on a journey and everyone's having a different process. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, whether you have no audience or a small audience, uh, it's, you're making a, an amazing contribution to just even put out that energy and vibration of, that's committing right. to, like you say, integrity or heart or your soul calling in a way. Um, it's really beautiful to do that. And it's a, like we're vibrational beings. So it's a contribution no matter what. And then That's right. it's the question of 
if you're going for fame and money kind of strictly um is that an art form in and of itself i mean it's but it's just a totally different frequency of creativity and it yes so it brings up this idea that um creative works are uh, structured in consciousness and are expressed differently in different states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So if on the one hand you have the artist and on the other hand you have an audience member and in between them is, is the work of art, whatever that happens to be. The artist creates from their level of consciousness and they imbue their creative work with the energy of that consciousness. And then an audience member looks at that work or listens to that work or reads that work and they pick up that the energy of that consciousness, and in this way, it raises them. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, if it if it didn't raise them, they wouldn't pay attention to it. They would they would go someplace else and look for a different piece mm -hmm. of art or art form to pay attention to. So this is kind of the principle that um, you know the creative process entrains us with the highest level of self, if you will. Yeah. And that's the great boon, the great gift of the creative, of the maker, is to show us that way and involve us to be a part of that process. And in that way, it's kind of like injecting that consciousness, that element of transformation into the lifeblood stream of our culture and therefore the world. Yes, that's, that's powerful. Um, so in terms of your projects, I mean, you've told me about amazing work that you've done. You, you founded Gate um, and you had, can I mention your honorary co-founders? Yeah, sure. Jim Carrey and Eckhart Tolle, um, which is amazing. How did you guys all connect originally? Well, um, somebody gave me a galley copy of Power of, The Power of Now before it was uh, published. And I read it, I think, in probably one, one evening, and I was so resonant with what Eckhart was expressing, and I, I was bound and determined to, to meet him. And a few months later, uh, after the book was published, I did meet him, and we exchanged a few words, uh, and that was that. But then many months later, uh, I happened to attend an event, and he was at the event, and we got into a conversation, and uh, I started doing some work for him. Uh, this was probably in 99, maybe wow. 1999. And um, I worked with him uh, for quite a long time as a, as, a, as a publicist and as a business advisor and you know, did, went on tours with him and set up events and uh, helped with you know, A New Earth and promoted Power of Now and this and that and the other thing with him. And then uh, I, I, I met Jim Carrey, uh, you know, uh, around 2003, I think it was, 2004, somewhere in that neighborhood. And uh, in the course, you know, it was actually, he, he came to this, Jim came to the uh, screening of one of the movies I was promoting. And afterwards, he stayed behind and introduced himself, very, very kind person. We talked for two hours, and then we exchanged contact information. And a week later, I got a call, come over for dinner, and uh, I did. And during that time, I discovered that he was a big fan of Eckhart's. And so I said, well, would you like to meet him? And Jim was like, really, that would be great. So Jim and I flew up to Vancouver and spent the weekend with Eckhart and his family and uh, you know, got to know each other. And so that's how that association began. But when the idea for Gate emerged, 
uh, within me. I, I resisted it for, for, for a few years. Um, you know, it, it kind of came up in around 2004. And around 2007, I was sitting with Eckhart and we were having a conversation. And I, I said, Eckhart, can I share an idea with you? And he said, yes. And I told him about gate. And I said, this idea came to me and it's been bothering me for years and I keep resisting it. And almost as if to take a cue from a Nike commercial, Eckhart said, just do it. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And I said to him, uh, if I produce an event for this, will you uh, be an honorary co-founder of Gate? And will you give the uh, keynote address and link consciousness and entertainment? And he said, yes. And then knowing that I had Eckhart on board, I went to Jim and I said, Jim, Eckhart and I are gonna do this event. Would you co-host it with me and would you be an honorary co-founder? And Jim said, yes. So I knew that with Jim and Eckhart bookending me, people would take me more seriously and <laughs> yeah. listen to what I had to say. Yeah. So we had our first, we had our inaugural event in 2009 at uh, Fox Studios uh, in the Zanuck Theater. And uh, uh, we, we had 500 seats and we filled every single seat with some standing room. And then we had to turn away about 1,600 people who created this massive traffic jam in front of Fox. And it was quite, quite a scene. Wow. And a lot of celebrities couldn't get in and were upset and what have you. But um, it, was, it, was, it was a lovely event and it really kicked off the, the formal uh, gate organization. And so what is Gate up to now and what can people look forward to? Yes. So we did a series of big events where there were anywhere from two to 4,000 people. We did a bunch of smaller events, you know, just a few hundred. We did some salons. We actually did salons at Jim Carrey's home on one of the side yards. And then I, I, I started doing some consulting and coaching work one-on-one -on -one with, with creatives, and, among other things. And... Um, I, I got tired of doing the big events and, you know, everything associated with that. And yeah. I took a break and uh, I, I became, you know, the executive director of the David Lynch uh, College of Cinematic Arts. And I've been working on writing a book and developing workshops and what have you. I kind of let Gate not go away, but just kind of, it faded a little bit into the background. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, I started, you know, feeling antsy and I thought I want to revive this in a different way and uh, we, we recast the vision mission of gate and we tore our old website down and we've, we've been working on a new one um, people can go to gatenation.org okay. uh, right now even and you can sign up to receive gate space which is our newsletter and it'll provide you with updates and we'll announce at a certain point in time maybe two to three months when we're going to launch the site it'll be a soft launch but gate has many projects in mind uh, to undertake from the gate imaginal awards uh, and the gate seal to a radio show i've been asked to do called inside entertainment conversations with the hearts of hollywood we'll be doing workshops we'll be offering coaching and consultations we'll be doing live uh, um, uh, live streaming events uh, our art, we have an art gallery in the new website. We have a screening room for films and videos. Um, you know, you can become a gate insider, which is our version of a member, uh, yeah. but you don't have to pay for it. It's, it's free right now, though it won't always be. Um, and ultimately, uh, this, this new site that we're going to launch is kind of a gate informational website. 
but there's plenty of things to do and to, to work with. But ultimately, our dream, our vision is for Gate Nation, a virtual global country of creative artists transforming the world by transforming entertainment, arts, and media from within. I love so we envision, we envision a nation that will have its own economy, its own distribution platform, two things that all creatives need. And it will also be a place where artists can go to meet one another from around the world, to share ideas, to collaborate, to heal, to ask questions, to provide answers, to mentor, to be mentored, uh, to attend workshops, to showcase their work, uh, and various other things. We want it to be the nexus point for creative artists. And we hope that by organizing creative artists in these ways, that we can begin to create um, a bill of rights for artists, that we can share that with the world and advocate for it, that we can have our own economy, and, and hopefully you know, some artists will help other artists who may be struggling uh, you know, in that way, and that we can become a powerful distribution platform that studios and production companies and networks will wanna work with us because we will be a source for content that is of a transformational nature, but doesn't neglect the values of entertainment and telling a good story. Mm -hmm. So anything that might come out of this Gate Nation and, and, and Gate Studio, if you will, um, will be entertaining, it will be story-driven, but it will embody, if you will, and express essential messages. Uh, such as those of consciousness and transformation, but again, told in an entertaining way, yes. not, not a documentary. No, yeah. I'm on the same page. I mean, it's like, it, we're alchemists, know. you know? You don't need to hit people over the head with a message. I mean, sometimes you do, and that's great. Um, <laughs> but I think yes. with, with um, storytelling, you can be really subtle and really like alchemical. Yeah. And um, Absolutely. It's about Absolutely. In intention you know, which I don't know yes. that a lot of storytellers yep. think about. <laughs> um, What's what, true, what it's true. And having on humanity as I'm telling this story, what is the message that I'm putting out yes. into the world through these images, you know? Yes, yes, beautiful, well said. Well, yes. you know, um, the, when we did one of our gate events at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills, I, I don't remember which one it was, but um, I got a call from a wonderful organization. Um, it, it's like an international screenwriters association. Mm -hmm. And they had heard about Gate and the, the gentleman who was the, the founder and the president asked me, what can I do to support what you're doing? And I said, well, you know, if I give you some tickets, will you distribute them to some of your screenwriters who may be interested in this sort of thing? And he said, absolutely. So I ended up giving them 200 tickets to this Gate event mm -hmm. and he, got 200 writers, 200 screenwriters, many of whom had substantial screenwriting credits to come and be a part of the event. And at that time, several of the, the feedback I got, you know, that, that he shared with me was almost all of those screenwriters would, would love to write transformational content cool. if the studios would buy it. And, you know, that was then and this is now, things have changed and, and it's probably gonna be easier because, you know, obviously, uh, certain subject matters have opened up uh, on, you know, because of Netflix and, and such. But um, uh, it, it's something that I believe, you know, that tide is rising in a very profound and pronounced way. And Gaia. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. You ever check content out on Gaia? Um, well, I, I actually was partners with Yurka Rasavi, who's the founder of Gaia. Oh, okay. And he and I, he and I had a distribution company called uh, Awakened Media, and we distributed two films, The Real Dirt on Farmer John, which is a documentary, a wonderful documentary, and then Kirk Douglas's last film called Illusion. And that was quite uh, written, written uh, by Michael Gorgian, who's a wonderful writer, and he starred in it as well. And so we did those two movies together. Um, so I, I, and at the, at the time there was talk about, you know, starting Gaia uh, and also um, Yurka acquired the spiritual cinema circle. So Yeah, I don't know much about it. I actually had another guest on this show, uh, Ben Stewart, who directed Esoteric Agenda uh, 1 and 2. Actually really good movies, really, really oh, cool. good. And he, he's about, um, the whole universe as art and just this like pulse of Ooh. creation and um, beautiful. He's really, he's really into <laughs> symbols. He's really powerful. And then Sean Stone. Please connect us. <laughs> I will. I will. Do you yeah. know Sean Stone, Oliver Stone's son? No. Um, also, no. he's a filmmaker in his own right and amazing visionary. He was also a guest and he's hosted some. He hosted Esoteric Hollywood on Gaia. Oh. Which oh, nice. is about like nice. the symbology like woven into a lot of different things that have come out over the decades, you know? Very oh, like interesting, Very like deconstructing stuff. Um, so the title of the show is Humanizing the Icon, and I want to ask you, what does that phrase bring up for you? Or what does that mean to you? Humanizing well, the Icon. <laughs> so the first the first time I heard this title, yes, it struck fear in me. <laughs> like, oh, and the reason, well, the reason is because, well, wait a minute, humanizing the icon. I'm not an icon. I don't consider myself to be an icon. Um, so uh, I, I was I, I didn't feel quite worthy of, uh, you know, the title or being being on a show with that title. And I, I thought about it. You know, I said, hmm. How does one deal with that, you know? And, but then I, I just relaxed into that title and I thought, you know, there, there's another way of looking at it. And um, it's, you know, I mean, in a way, every single person is an icon in yes. their own right. Yes. And, you know, every person has something extraordinary to say, to share, to contribute to life, to the world. And I started thinking of it that way. I started thinking of it in, in, in a more street sense, like, you know, we're all icons and every single one of us need humanizing because if we're fulfilling our true nature as human beings, there's gratitude, there's humility, there's inclusiveness. There are so many lovely qualities and many of us find some of these qualities blocked within ourselves for various reasons. So humanizing the icon to me is an expression of um, how we can become even more human, who we are in the most essential way that will enable us to interact in, in more beautiful and profound ways with one another. Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. I find it so fascinating when the ego, like a few people have said what you said, not all that beautiful poetic stream you just had, um, but in their own way, but started with, I didn't feel worthy because I'm not an icon. And yeah. 
I find that so interesting. I find that just interesting in and of itself. Um, and when I look up icon in the dictionary and it's literally like image, or I think of a button you push on the computer and it's kind of like, wait a second, everything is icon. Everything is yeah. a projection. Everything is an image. And yeah. it also raised the question of why icon is associated with idolization. Um, yes. <laughs> and what ended up happening was it kind of caved in on itself and it sort of brought me to the human as the icon. Yes, you know? which is very beautiful, very beautiful. And you know, over the last 40 years, um, I've had the blessings, um, in some cases the curses, of, of yes. working with famous people. And um, what I've seen, though, is that in the most famous of the famous that I've worked with, there's there 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 are beautiful human elements that are only seen behind the scenes they're not necessarily seen in the public persona or the performances um but the acts of generosity the acts of humanness and humility um the acts of of support and help and so many other ways that these folks um, actually express um, is, is the humanization of that sort of expressed iconic status that they've achieved. And I always, I always appreciate that. And, and I always breathe a sigh of relief because, you know, I, I, I mean, there are some, you know, iconic celebrities who um, maybe, you know, have, are, are, ch are challenged by their humanness and, you know, kind of believe in their publicity, maybe too much. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are those people who truly are iconic and have delivered stellar works and performances across a spectrum of, of entertainment media products who are so beautiful and sweet and loving and caring and will give you the shirt off their backs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just lovely to be around uh, that combination of humanness and, and, and ultimate creativity. True. And I think it's really powerful for people too to understand that what they look up to in someone that seems larger than life, because that's the other question is what can, yeah. what can be larger than life, right? What is larger than life? Um, yeah. <laughs> so we sort of put these other human beings up on this pedestal <laughs> and I re and I realize the reflection is that we see what we are. It's yeah. not that I feel it can be dangerous to worship in a way where it's it, it's diminishing to the worshiper. Um, mm -hmm. But in fact, if you realize that you have that power, you have that creative power. Um, it doesn't mean you're on a stage. You know, life is a stage. No. Um, it's, it's tapping into your own superpower. And so you see that which you are. You can't see something you aren't. I, I, I figured that out in sort well, of like laws of physics. Like you can't see what yes. you don't reflect, you know, or project. Yes. Yeah, there's another beautiful expression that is, is similar to this and, and kind of a corollary. And it's the world is as we are. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if you think about the, the juxtaposition of those two ideas, they, they work well together. But, you know, um, I, I think uh, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, every single person, 
is creative. Uh, there isn't anybody who isn't creative. And it depends on how you channel that. And so, some people channel it more through artistic creativity. But some people, I, I know businessmen and women, and I know people who do other, who are educators and a wide variety of, of professions who are every bit as creative as uh, artistic creatives. And they, they come up with beautiful expressions of that creativity in their given field. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a joy to see that and see that there is this universal creativity emanating from you know, the quantum field and you know, the unified field. And that you know, people actually interact with it on a daily basis uh, and, and may not even be aware of it. You know, they simply don't think about it or think of it in those terms. And look, the icon, as the, the famous iconic person, as, as we think of it in pop culture, um, couldn't be that without, without the, the, the people, the admiration, the energy. It's, it's an exchange. It's like, is there, is there a sound in the forest when the, when the tree falls if there's no one there to hear it? It's, the performer can be on the stage, but if no one's there giving them that energy, it, the, the icon, the image doesn't exist in the way that we, we see it, you know? So we're all, it's like, we're all, I say we're all at the same house party, you know? Like we're all like creating this experience. <laughs> Even if you're just an artist in terms of how you walk and how you dress and how you talk, like everything is, a unique expression and I think that the more we kind of own our authenticity in a way the more yeah. creative the whole experience of just being human is and it's not about them and us you know I think that's that's potentially exciting yes <laughs> yeah yes yes it, it, potentially exciting yes and I think <laughs> I think um you know where we are in, in the world today but in particular in the United States and without becoming, you know, political um, or socio-political, um, I, I think you know uh, those of us who um, are creative artists or working with creative artists, we know that uh, there is a renaissance coming when once again creative artists will be the way showers and suggest alternatives, suggest other possibilities, other options, yeah. and you know through their various works. Um, I, I do believe that's coming again, uh, and I, I have I have incredible hope yes. for the younger yes. generations. Um, you know, those of us I'm I'm a I'm a child of the '60s, and you know, grew up protesting and a member of the White Panther Party and the SDS and all of that, and playing in rock bands and dropping acid and listening yes. to music and what have you. That was that; those were my days, and um, I, I I I'm so happy to see that. There are so many uh, in, in younger generations that are picking up their own versions of that and carrying them forward in the world. And, 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 and I guess I feel a little sad also that uh, my generation, you know, baby boomers, uh, you know, have, have made certain decisions that have, uh, you know, profoundly negatively impacted the earth and politics and society and what have you. And, um, you know, I, I, it, it's quite a mess, uh, you know, to leave behind. But again, I have hope, I have dreams, I have the vision that uh, all of us working together, no matter what the generation is, can, can use the arts and entertainment media uh, to foster uh, personal, social, and global transformation. Yes, that's so good. Um, 
I'm so excited. <laughs> um, so what projects before we start to wrap up, should people know about? You spoke about a film that you're producing. Which yeah. Cool. Yeah. I recently signed on. Hmm? Oh, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything about that yet, but yeah, yeah. just a sentence or two, if you want. I, 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 I was approached um, actually a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, uh, to be a part of a film project uh, about the life of uh, playwright author Henry Miller. Yeah. And I, I, I said, you know, I, 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 I did the dance, you know, of staying in touch and kind of talking about different things related to the project, but I, I never felt quite ready to sign on. And then I was approached again uh, earlier this year, uh, you know, to be a part of the project. And I had recommended uh, that the screenwriter, uh, well, there's a couple of interesting coincidences, but I'd recommended that the screenwriter uh, have uh, work with a friend of mine who, you know, I believe is the godmother of transformational story. Oh. She did her doctoral thesis on it and wrote the book about it and oh. continues to do that work. And she consults on many of the, you know, Academy Award winning films. So I sent the filmmakers to her and said, you know, work with her on your script. And when she says it's ready, then I'll get interested. And sure enough, they did. And, and, and my friend, you know, said, yes, this is, this is an Academy Award worthy script. Oh. And I said, okay, let me read it again. And I did. And I wanted to change the name of the film because I, I didn't like the name they had. I like another name better. Um, but it is a film about uh, Henry Miller, but most especially about his life as a spiritual seeker. Uh, living in the area of Big Sur in, in, in Central California and the time that he spent there. And, you know, he was connected to amazing people, uh, you know, like Lawrence Ferlinghetti and the Beats and so many other cool people. So I personally relate to, uh, you know, his story and I, I love some of his books very much. And so I thought, well, let's, let's get involved with that. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, and then I, I also own a marketing and public relations company that only works on projects of a consciousness and transformational nature. So whether it's a, you know, a new book, I've worked with, I don't know, four or 500 authors and probably worked with 50, 60 films and, and artists and this and that and the other thing, but all of a, you know, particular nature. Um, so I, I continue to do that work uh, and I'm writing a book, which the tentative title is the creative artist's royal path to personal fulfillment and career success. It's kind of an inner outer thing. Oh. And I continue doing some work with Jim Carrey and uh, uh, various, a few other projects in the wings that I'm looking forward to. How can people keep track of your work and maybe join initiatives or support? Or yeah, yeah, which I would love. Yeah. Um, if they go to gatenation.org, and enter their name and email address, then we will send updates to them. Uh, and um, when our website goes live, I, I hope in two to three months, uh, my uh, email address will be there um, and people can feel free to reach out to me if they'd like to. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm always, you know, these days I'm going to be very interested in interacting with creatives and learning from them and hopefully sharing the benefit of 40 years of experience in this field and continuing to be very active and supporting their efforts and their needs. So I hope that's what will happen. Yes, oh, this is so good. I'm so glad we got back in touch. And Thank you, me too, Jennifer, I appreciate it. Up. Yes, um, 
Chelio has done a beautiful work of art uh, to the tune of our conversation. So nice. Chelio, are you with us? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. Wow. Wow. So <laughs> wow. So I, I'm 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 sweat because I I perceive a lot of energy from this conversation. Wow. And the hand is coming very fast and a million <laughs> line happens and I saw I saw um is the a good brain connect with the very nice heart mm. okay good so brain and nice heart i love that we have intelligence productive uh, creative connect with the love mm. okay yeah. and we go inside and we see some partners is some partners uh maybe rich partners creative partners negative partners and this is uh, i think is uh, uh, the more uh, rational part this decisional part wow. of, of the of the hard but before we have uh, the intelligence intelligence is uh, full of people too because intelligence is a creation of uh, experience right mm. so uh whoa chelio that is so powerful this is amazing I'm, so, so I'm surprised uh, so um then uh my vision today is creative creativity intelligence with love because Beautiful. creative intelligence without love is not but have to careful Beautiful. because uh have to careful because society is nice society is beautiful but some people <laughs> need to education to share for share love sorry my english but we have some protagonists this is your life john I think so because you send me a lot of energy and then it's there, you know? Wow, it's like you have Beautiful. all of it. Yeah, it's the, the light and the dark and the creation. It's so cool. <laughs> in the love, like in the heart, you know? So yeah. so if we want to do another interview, I can express more darkness too. <laughs> yeah, because we're talking about transformation and transmutation. The ceremony yeah. of life. We can call the next one the ceremony of life. Well, it, it is. And, and of course, darkness is an element or an aspect of all of our lives. And it's to be uh, welcomed and embraced and, and danced with. And I find a lot of people try to resist those elements and don't uh, don't pay attention to them. And usually when we don't pay attention, they become stronger. They sometimes become more angry and act up in certain ways. Yeah. So it's, it's better to make friends, you know, always. Yes. <laughs> I love how you say dance with it. It feels very tribal and I, I feel that too. It's it is. People yeah. in our culture yeah. tend to think to honor 
anger or rage or these energies, which are such amazing yeah. sources. Um, yeah. To honor it means to take it out on someone. So I can't do that, so I'll repress it. And it's like, no, yeah. honoring it means to honor it. Like you actually get to work with it, you know, and use it. Beautiful. Yeah. Really nice. Cool. Nice. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that beautiful art. That's, that's amazing. Really amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I know. I, I love that one, Chelio. That's really incredible. <laughs> I can't wait to look at it really extra close, actually. The I'm very emotional now. Emotional now. Yeah. We should yeah. animate that one and like get it moving. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you guys thank you. so much. Thank you. thank you so much. This was really fun. My pleasure. Yes. Thank you. This will be on YouTube and Apple and Spotify and Instagram and Facebook <laughs> and everywhere. All right. Thank you, Facebook people. All right. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Be well. Okay, I'm going to stop the live stream. Okay.